This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Hello, this is Rabbi Eric Linder, and you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comet Task with Joe and Matt. You've been faking it for a long time, Joe Welcome. Patrick. Welcome to episode 31 of THN, where we're talking comics and comic news for the week of Wednesday, August 24th. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not boarding up my house and laying sandbags in preparation for a hurricane of new DC titles coming next month, <laughs> I'm writing about and appraising comics for WorkPoint.com. It might be too soon for those jokes. Too soon, man. Especially there's piles of bodies. When it's uh, and I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not screaming down my co-host on Twitter... In front of God and everybody. It hurt. I am sorry, the Twitter. The Twitter. I am the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. I have marks, and it hurt. He is violent. This week, you'll hear <laughs> reviews of Ultimate Comics Ultimates number one from Marvel and Kevin Smith's Bionic Man number one from Dynamite. After that, we'll shift this space Winnebago into hyperdrive as we review 10 comics faster than the laws of physics should allow in the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll use our Odin site to peer into the near future and tell you what you should be reading next week. And finally, we get Spoiler to our review. Spoiler alert, there's only two books. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to our review of Darwin Cook's Parker the Hunter and the grand return of our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we get to all that schizophrenic word salad, let's stock up on canned foods and toilet paper and shotgun shells, just in case Irene turns out to be the big one. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. BleedingCool.com, the purveyors of comics-related rumors and gossip, has somehow acquired a copy of the script for Flashpoint number five. How does this happen? There's I don't like know, more man. leaks in the comic world than the White House. <laughs> I it's don't crazy. know. Crazy. Uh, now, of course, this is the finale to DC's summer event and the catalyst for the big relaunch that starts next week. Rich Johnston, Bleeding Cool's head writer, has posted a script review on the site that, while avoiding major spoilers, it does offer an interesting look at what we can expect when Flashpoint's final issue ships next Wednesday. Now, this is going to veer into dangerous spoiler territory, so sensitive listeners may want to skip ahead a little bit. Or stop listening altogether. Stop it. Forever. You're doing it wrong. It's the only way to be safe. Quit it! <laughs> Johnston writes that Flashpoint 5 delivers a satisfying finale that both works on an emotional level and nicely wraps up all the various plot threads. Quote, Nothing is left unsaid. Characters' arcs come to natural conclusions, even if their final fates are left up in the air. Johnson was then seen carrying a giant check in care of DC Comics to his local <laughs> bank. What the hell? Rich also talks about, well, come on, are you saying it's not possible that it's good? I'm not saying it's not possible that it's good. I'm just saying this sounds like a publicity stunt from DC. Like, he mysteriously acquired the script. I don't. And he loved it. No know? way. It sure sounds. It does not sound. sounds hinky to me. If you read Bleeding Cool at all. Let's you, talk about Ain't It Cool for a little bit. Remember those guys? Yeah. You thought they were okay. our friends? Ain't It Cool is on the take. But Bleeding Cool, they get news like this all the time. I know, like I know, weird, I know. It weird, just, it crazy just, news. I just, I can't help but be a little untrustworthy here. This is the internet, man. <sighs> You're jaded and cynical. That's right. And hard-hitting. Now, Rich <laughs> Rich also talks a bit about how the issue goes about setting up DC's new continuity without offering specific details. Uh, he talks about, like, there's a double-page spread where, like, the Flash is kind of seeing the new timeline in these, like, little lightning-bordered panels you know, so he's seeing the changes like we've seen in several DC events before. Where he's like, I have to remember everything. Yeah, you see like these the Apollo things happening and the Midnighter <laughs> <laughs> and Cole Cash <laughs> and his brother Max Cash, who doesn't get enough play. Uh, no, but he did say that there is a lot of interesting detail in those little panels, but he did not say he did not give specifics, which is 
sadly what I was looking for. I want to know. Nah, I, I don't want to know ruined. now. I don't want to ruin. Finally, Rich states that Superman fans will quote have a fit, and that fans of the Thomas Wayne Batman arc will need to bring their hankies. What? Ah, uh, Matt, it sounds like Flashpoint's going out with a bang, and I am more excited than ever. I hope so, because the last couple issues of Flashpoint have not done a lot for me. Like, I agree with what you earlier on a previous show where you said that, like, they're kind of on an every it's other, every other. <laughs> every two, other issue. Two and four were kind of bummers, but one and three were great. Yeah, and, you know, it, it better be great. It better be the biggest thing ever. It has to be because great. Because this is the biggest thing that's ever happened to DC Comics. So mm. I'm glad that Rich Johnson is, is saying this because he was pretty critical of a lot of this in the beginning when they were talking about the relaunch and stuff like that. And yeah, well, and he doesn't have any art to go with it. He right. doesn't have the comic in his hands. He just had a copy of the script. I'm saying DC, and gave the him script, that script might be different. I don't think so. I'm saying they did. There's no way they, somebody snuck it out. Come on. What do you mean snuck it out? Like what they wadded it up in their pants and and Matt, mailed it to England. Welcome to the computer age. There is no like sneaking it out in a briefcase. I don't use no <laughs> computers. I don't know what you're talking about. Read the second story, please. In other bleeding cool news, Rich Johnston also released a full cover of November's Uncanny X Men number one on Friday without the silhouettes at once obscured the featured characters. Ooh. Now, this is spoiler alert territory that's going to give away where X allegiances lie. You are so bad at this job. the Schism universe. So, here is your uncanny X team. We have a new roster of Emma Frost, Cyclops, Magneto, a Cytorak-possessed Colossus, who I'm going to call the Colossonaut? I'm going to call him the Colossonaut. Danger... <laughs> And Juggersus. <laughs> the Juggersus. <laughs> and Magic. Joe, what is this wacky X team? This is crazy, yeah, man. Yeah, it's kind of a weird bunch of characters. Yeah, is it this not? is a hodgepodge at best. Yeah, I don't know. You know what it actually, my first thought was that aside, well, yeah, Magneto, I guess, was would be included in this. Other than Emma who people have kind of grown to accept. Right. This is a group of characters that most of the other ex-people don't fully trust. They were all kind of bad guys at one point. Emma Frost was, I mean, the White Queen. Magneto has tried to, you know, kill the X-Men for years and years and years. Danger, like, became sentient and tried to kill all the X-Men. Magic is not the magic we know, but, like, came back all possessed from... She's done bad things. Yeah, done really bad things. It's taken and, yeah, now mutants. Colossus is empowered by a demon. Yeah. So yeah, this is a group. He's this got a is bunch a of loose of, cannons. Of yeah, this is a group of characters that I think the quote unquote straight laced uh, X characters don't fully trust, yeah, and this I think is like that's your, interesting. Your dark X Men, if you sort will. of, but it is kind of a weird grouping. Like Danger is on the team; she's going to go out there and fight. I think it's fun, and again, I, I see Marvel leaking this just to get it out there because this is the wacky team. They're almost going to go what. And then we can argue about where everybody else is going to be after this. But this is going to be fun. I'm look. I'm really looking forward to the post-Schism X universe. And it's been so much fun so far. I yeah. love it. And I can't wait. Looking forward to more Uncanny X-Men from Kieran Gillen. Looking forward to Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men. Yeah. Even the non-flagship like X books are going to look good. Like Sebastian Shaw is going to be in Generation Hope. Yeah, That's kind of crazy. Crazy. Are they going so. back to Westchester? What do you think? Is half the team oh, going back already, to Westchester? They've already said Wolverine is taking his group back to Westchester. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm excited for the post-schism X-Men's. 
Our final news item isn't a story so much as an examination of comic book culture. It is a story. It's dirt, baby. We're getting deep. It's dirt. See, and I think we're getting all deep, and Matt is getting all gossip mongery. I'm going straight TMZ with it. I don't like it. The internet has become an extremely useful tool in the promotion, production, and distribution of comics. And overall, I think comics have definitely benefited from the web, but sometimes the internet can reveal just how small the comics community really is. And it gives comic fans a peek behind the curtain, whether they want it or not. A chance to see how the sausage is yeah. made. Case in point, several news sites reported on former Marvel artist Marco Djurdevic's alleged tirade at Canada's Fan Expo this week. According to reports, Djurdevic spent the entire FF panel interrupting fellow creators Steve Epting and Jonathan Hickman to rail against Marvel's operating practices even stopping to specifically bag on J. Michael Straczynski, who Derdevic said, quote, writes like toilet paper. Which means nothing. Yeah. Creators and fans alike took to the internet to either condemn or defend the artist, and Jonathan Hickman eventually stepped in to say that the whole event had been blown out of proportion. JMS had a great response on his Facebook post this morning where he poked a little fun at the toilet paper thing. They went on to say, I think it's about time somebody in the comics business gave Charlie Sheen a run for his money, and I have absolute <laughs> oh, faith that man. Mr. Trudevic is just the man to do it. I stand behind him in solidarity, with confidence, and with a roll of toilet paper, poised and ready for his next missive. Go get him, Marco. <laughs> now, over on Twitter, artist Rob Liefeld posted several tweets remarking on Marvel's soliciting practices, citing several examples of books that were allegedly solicited before any creative work was done. This Shocking. All, yeah. This all seemed to point to Liefeld's complaint that Marvel sat on his completed work for a Killraven series for four years. This prompted Marvel editor Tom Brevoort to step in and defend Marvel, calling Liefeld a liar and implying that perhaps Liefeld hadn't been as far ahead in his work as he claimed. And this Things, was straight up Twitter conversations. Yeah, These were not just, private no, no, like, messages just back, back and, and forth, forth. Back and forth. We if you wa- followed both of them, you saw the whole thing. We were watching this unfold yeah, last night. Exactly. Now, things devolved into a mostly one-sided rant from Liefeld from there as Braveheart seemingly wised up and went to bed. Now, all of this drama points to the downside of our internet culture as it relates to comics because now fans can see, like you said, how the sausage is made and it isn't always pretty. I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing, though. I mean, like, ESPN is constantly reporting on what athletes are tweeting, like, before games, after games, things like this. And it's it's new insight into this process. We know some of these guys are crybabies. That's a fact of life in any business. It's not just comics. And what this seems to me is two guys, Rob Liefeld and Marco Jurdevic, kind of complaining about really basic stuff in the comic industry. Like, Jurdevic was... Talking about what a pain it was that he constantly had to redo things and get things checked and, and redo his art. And I mean, that's the nature of comics. Every artist deals with that. Alex Ross probably deals right, with that. Right. But, you know? but my point is that now it's in a public forum and the fans are exposed to it. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. And it was in a public forum before as well. It just this stuff came out later in, I mean, trade magazines like the Comics Reporter or the Back Issue where we'd hear rumors. I mean, at least this way we can see it for what it is. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think the Leafield thing is kind of laughable because this is a guy that's pretty famous for being very late on things. And here he is calling Marvel out on soliciting books that aren't finished yet. That's the nature of the business. Marvel and DC have both been doing that for years. I mean, look at the Kevin Smith bullseye. 
Look at, I mean. Well, and it's not to say David Finch that's not is a Batman. defense. That's not a defense of that. No. It, but it is what happens. It's the nature of the business. And we're not even saying that Derdevic is not wrong. No. And or I, that he's not right. And, right. and again, depending on who, whether or not you were there or you were just responding to it on the web, there's two different sides to how this came out. Hickman saying that it wasn't that big of a deal at all. Maybe he was legitimately joking. But when you read the transcript, on the it internet. does not paint him in a favorable light. No, where it says like Jurdevic interrupts and says this. Jurdevic interrupts and says this. And that it, could come off. And it made him sound like he was very full of himself. Like if they had only left me alone, they would have gotten results that it would have amazed even me. See, and maybe he's joking. When and he that said is that. not. Uh, that's not a, that's an a exaggeration. That's a direct quote. That is a quote. <laughs> and maybe he's joking when he says it. But even making jokes like that in any context makes you sound like a jackass. Yeah. Listen, for me, like my question, the point of this story was, when we were young, you know, this sort of this sort of stuff was all. It never came to light. It was all dealt with in Stan's soapbox. No, no. <laughs> it was thinly veiled. <laughs> uh, like, there was the illusion of, like, the Marvel bullpen. Like, right. They, they kind of put forth this uh, impression that everyone sat in the same room and had a great time making these comics. And, of course, that's not reality, and it's naive to think so. But now, with the internet basically connecting everybody on an equal level. We know that Stanley murdered Steve Ditko. <laughs> Held him underwater until he died. Do you think it detracts a little from like the the magic of comics, no. the mystique? No. I, I don't think it does at all. I think it's interesting. I think honestly, I think it's kind of fun. We know this dirt exists. If it's going to be if people are going to pipe up, I want to hear about it. And it's an interesting look into the business. It's fun. All right. You know what? Question of the week. That's going to be the question of the week. Later. All right. I like it. Moving on. That is the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where Joe and I are posting live pictures of Stan Lee having lunch with J-Lo. Straight TMZ style. Right now. Oh, scandalous. Review time is here again, and that means it's time to talk about some new releases. As always, Joe and I played a highly competitive game of the A-Team board game to figure out who goes first, and as always, his sweet A-Team van crossed the finish line <laughs> before mine. So, Joe. I don't fly. Take it away. My pick was Ultimate Comics Ultimates, number one. Just the worst title. It's so dumb. Uh, this is by, we've talked about this, we're not going to get into it. Marvel Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Isad Ribic. Colors by Dean White. Things aren't going too well for Nick Fury, though he's been reinstated as director of S.H.I.E.L.D., his Ultimates team is a man down, and his budget has been cut, making it harder to do the job. When several threats appear simultaneously, Fury and the Ultimates find themselves pushed beyond their limits. To the breaking point. They take it to the limit. Uh, this was a really great issue. I was really looking forward to the new injection of uh, talent into the Ultimate line after years of floundering. <laughs> after years of Ultimate Spider-Man really being the only worthwhile part of that universe. Yeah, the Malara stuff got pretty snarky, and Loeb stuff yeah. got downright dumb. Ooh, I mean, and, you know, Hickman fits right in. Uh, he's got great dialogue, and he's got a really good handle on the characters' voices, everybody sounded right. Well, really, I take that back. The only one you hear, the only ones you hear talking, are Tony and Nick Fury uh, during this issue. But like their voices are dead on, 
And it is a very refreshing change from the snarky, cynical take yeah. that Miller uh, was so famous for in his book. And I love, uh, just to start off with the beginning of the book, I absolutely love the way Hickman starts all of his titles now with big, like, t- double-page title cards. Yeah, it's cool. So it's like two pages of story, cinematic. and then it's like, boom, the ultimates. Yeah. And it's all, like, ink splotchy. It was really good. Very cinematic. Very effective way to start it. Uh, Speaking of the uh, dialogue and the voices, there is a really great scene between Tony and his most recent Jarvis, which if you are familiar with the Ultimate Universe at all, you know that there is no one Jarvis. He just keeps hiring people and forces them to answer to the word to the name Jarvis <laughs> <laughs> like I think the last one was actually a lady that's great uh, but this guy is like sir my name is William it's William sir and he goes William if I'd wanted a William I would have hired one <laughs> moving on to the art good lord Isad Ribic. this guy is a master and I used to think that he was such an odd choice for like a big blockbuster action book like this because in the past his style was always kind of soft and painterly. Yeah, like his work on Loki worked really well because it gave it this sort of fairy tale feel and I like yeah. and, and gorgeous stuff. Mm-hmm. But even his work on Uncanny X Force that he did was it worked really well because they were in like apocalypses. Sure. You know, like this really dark sort of nightmarish sort of area. And it, and it gave it this really unreal feel to it. Yeah. But I was worried about him on this book as well, giving but, it a, in a real world setting. Sure. But I mean, I was totally wrong. He's I was, perfect yeah, for this book. Completely unfounded. That and, guy can do whatever he wants. Yeah. It's possible that his style is a little different than in the past because it looks a little sharper. It's still very clearly his style and it's also very painterly looking. Uh, but it is painterly. just yeah, painterly. That's How about a term. painted. No, painterly. It's a term. Look it up. It's you're, an artistic you're term. You're a painterly jerk. <laughs> and what I I think what I love most about him is that he hand draws all of his sound effects. Somebody does the actual word balloons, but whenever there's a like Tony taking off from the helicarrier, that's all like hand drawn, incorporated into the art. Very kind of Will Eisner esque. Not that it becomes part of the art like Will Eisner was famous for doing, but it's like right in there, and it just it's it's really it really fits the style, and I really love it. Uh, he's an excellent storyteller, and he is given a chance to kind of uh, showcase that because there is a nice stretch of the book where the satellite monitoring does not have audio, so it's all silent. Uh, and it's a scene in I thought it was Asgard at first, but it's not. It's just somewhere in Europe where the Asgardians that are now living on Earth invaded a beer plant. (laughs) And it's like, because the logo of the beer is like a dancing bear drinking beer. And Nick Fury's like, well, why wouldn't they? I mean, look at that logo. They're they're like totally curious. (laughs) Dean White's colors. Uh, Dean White is a guy that only recently have I started to really notice. He is the main colorist on X-Force. And... His color art is as integral to the story as the regular artist. Uh, he's phenomenal. It It's obvious that this book would not look the same without him. And it, together with Esad Ribic, it is a great, great looking book. I do have a, a, a slight complaint. There is a lot of stuff in this book that is unexplained that was introduced in Ultimate Fallout, which was the weekly miniseries that kind of preceded this big relaunch that dealt with the aftermath of the death of Spider-Man. I thought I might go into those details. I am not. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of stuff there that gets set up in another series that they don't explain at all in this book. 
I don't know yet if that's bad or good, but I'm trusting Hickman to write the book well enough so that it's somebody who one. didn't bother reading Ultimate Fallout will not be lost. That said, I had a ton of fun with this book. If you had if you had left the Ultimate uh, books in frustration before, now is the time to come back. This is a great book. I give it a buy it. Speaking of returning to the Ultimate titles, I'm doing that right now, and that's why I'm not caught up enough to read this one, but I do you look baby. forward to doing it. You could have jumped in. It's I'll number one. I'm going to get there. All right. All right, Matt, what did you read this week? I picked up Kevin Smith's Bionic Man number one, and it is called Kevin Smith's Bionic Man number one <laughs> from Dynamite Entertainment. This is written by Kevin Smith and Phil Hester with art by Jonathan Lau. Now, when I say written by Kevin Smith, what we mean is this is a script that Kevin Smith wrote for a treatment of the Bionic Man in the past. That got rejected. That got rejected, and Phil Hester has adapted it into a comic book. Because Dynamite Entertainment thought Kevin Smith's if nobody wanted to make this movie, it will make a damn fine comic. Sure, sure. Much like they did with Kevin Smith's Green Hornet. Anyway, this new bionic man sees Steve Austin as a military pilot, daredevil with a mouth, and little respect for authority, very much like Hal Jordan in the latest Green Lantern movie. Steve Highball Austin. Yeah, and I couldn't stop hearing Ryan Reynolds' voice with every word he spoke. I, I should say I picked this up because I love the bionic man. When I was a kid. And I really like the way Phil Hester writes comics. And I wanted to give this a try, even though Kevin Smith has let me down again and again and again as of recently. You're like a battered woman. I haven't been a fan of anything he's done for quite a while. I, especially, I thought I gave up altogether after Batman widening Geyer, which was just laughably horrible. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. But I picked this up because I love Hester's writing. And like I said, I love the $6 million man TV show. When the story opens here, we see Steve preparing for his last test flight. And, of course, he's late as usual, much to the ire of his commanding officer. And as you could probably guess, something goes wrong with the flight. And it looks like next issue will begin with a crash in the scene followed by the military rebuilding a barely alive Steve. But better, stronger, faster as a bionic man. But it seems someone may already have a different murderous bionic man of their own. What? Yeah, baby. I want to like this. I really do. And there are some moments that I really did enjoy. There's some really nice little story touches here that reminded me that Kevin Smith, when he wants to, can write and can do and has done stuff that we enjoy. We all loved his Green Arrow. Now, I will say this story. The first time we meet the hero, he's having a bowel movement. <laughs> this is where I'm going. The dialogue is witty and it's funny. There's some real tenderness between Steve and his wife, who is Jamie, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Jamie Summers. Yeah. And there's some good exchanges between Steve and the mysterious government agent that's sort of monitoring his test flights and looking into Oscar the. Oscar Goldman. That's looking into these other murders that have taken place from this other bionic man. But suddenly we get. Good old-fashioned Kevin Smith poop humor smashed <laughs> into our bionic into our bionic man story. Like I, he crams it in twice—a poop and then a proctology joke in yeah. like not more than three pages apart. As yeah. a matter of fact, why do I need to read about Steve Austin stinking up the bathroom and then have his wife describe the smell of his bowel movement? I mean, it, it just. 
moronic. Do you want to read the quote? Later on, yeah, go ahead. You smell like my kids after lunch on McRib Day. What is wrong with you, Kevin Says Jamie Summers. Why do we have to do that? I I don't, you're not bringing anything to the table with this. And in fact, it totally just interrupts the flow. Like, there, there is some cute, funny, quippy stuff going on here. And then you go straight to poop humor? Are we going to get poop humor in every issue? I don't know. Is this why the script got denied from Hollywood? They're like, uh, we like everything except for the part where the bionic man takes a poop. Except for all of it. I, I, and I liked this story. It was interesting. It started off with a bang, and it gave us something to hold on to. But then just leaping into this, it derails into Kevin Smith's poop humor. And I don't understand why he has to go to this place. Kevin Smith is a funny guy. Why does he he? always have to set the bar so low? Hmm. I don't get it. Is it because he thinks we expect this of him? Matt and his puritanical beliefs. Yeah, my fear of poop. The art by Jonathan Lau here is some of the best I've seen from him. I'm not a huge fan of his, but he is getting better at this sort of thin line style. There's some good kinetic work that he does in here. I thought it was pretty good looking. Yeah, and I mean like... most of what he's done, well, I think all of what he's done is with Dynamite. He worked on Battlestar Galactica. He worked on Project Superpowers. He also worked on Smith's Green Hornet, which yeah, okay, that's where I saw. I it. haven't read much of either, but this is some of the best looking stuff that we've seen from him. There's still some weirdness in a few panels, but it really does look nice. Uh, all in all, I wanted to like this book, but this, but the. The poop humor ripped me out of the story, okay. and the best now I can look, give this is a skimming. I know that you are eager to attribute that to Smith, and I'm sure that it's in his original script. But I know this is an adapted work. I know, and Phil, and I like I said, and I, I love, love Phil Hester, and I like his writing too, almost more than I think I like his art sometimes. Really, but, although I loved his Godzilla. Well, man, I mean, it was good. Would somebody have been really upset if? They build this as Kevin Smith's Bionic Man, and they had excised all the poop humor out of it. See, that's just it. I mean, like, I don't understand that choice that was made, and that's why I'm giving this a skim. It. I would love to read a good Bionic Man comic book every month. I don't think this is going to be it. The best I can give is a skim. It. Uh, to be fair, I don't really know how it works when you're adapting somebody else's screenplay. Maybe the directive was to actually to basically convert a screenplay into comic form, and that's what Phil's job was. I don't know, but all I know is it was way too Kevin Smith and not enough Phil Hester. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I, yeah, I, if this had been Phil Hester's Bionic Man, I would probably be giving it a buy. Double skim it for the Bionic Man. Happy birthday, Phil. And happy birthday to Phil <laughs> Hester. We still love you. Now it's time to put your seats in the upright position and raise your tray tables. THN Airlines is about to take off, and we're flying right into the eye of the storm. Buckle your seatbelts and kiss your butts goodbye, because after the hurricane force winds rip the wings off this puppy, the fuselage is going to hit the water, traveling at ludicrous speed. Ludicrous speed! Go! Anne Rice, servant of bones number one. Uh, I'm not an Anne Rice fan. I haven't really read any of her stuff. I read this. I have no idea what happened in this comic book. Uh, skim it? I don't know even how to uh, rate it. The art was good. All right. Kick-ass two, number three. At this point, I think I'm really only reading this book for the spectacle. <laughs> Every time I read a Mark Miller book, I feel like I'm being made fun of. And I, this is no exception. I think Mark Miller hates this. Yeah. Uh, beautiful art. If you think John Romita Rame- Jr. has lost it, you need to look at this book. It's all about the inker. Uh, I give it a... Hmm, Louis, skim it. <laughs> I can't decide. It X-Men mind. number 16. 
Uh, you know, when you take out all the vampire crap that was kind of forced in there, this is a fun book. Gishler kind of nails this one. I like the Magneto Doom thing. The art was gorgeous. Buy it. Wow. Yes. Wow. Batman Incorporated, number eight. Speaking of gorgeous art, this book was bizarre. And I'm, that's saying something for Grant yeah. Morrison. Unlike the rest of the Batman uh, Incorporated, which were, you know, run of the mill at that. The story is fun. It's about the crazy internet that Bruce Wayne invented. Whatever. The art was terrible and jarring. I don't know how to rate this book. I'm giving it a skim it because the art made me so mad. Wolverine 14. That Jason Aaron is one dark cat, and I tweeted that earlier, man. They beat the crap out of Wolverine. And then, spoiler alert, I can't tell you. Don't I, say I'm it. giving it a buy it. The only thing I didn't like about the storyline is when the one dude made the homeless guy dress up like Wolverine and he beat him with a bat. That was kind of silly. But I give this a buy it. Love the art. Project Superman, number three. Stop making faces at me. This has been one of the best Flashpoint tie-ins. I have really loved it. Great Gene Ha art. Uh, buy it. Dokken, Dark Wolverine, number 13. Rob Williams' Dokken is so good. And they took this character to a place where I did not see coming. He's hooked on drugs. He's out of his gourd. He's getting ready for a big fight with Moon Knight. Strong buy it. Wow. Love this book. Wow. And another horde of brilliant Italian artists working on this. Love it. Chew, 20. I love this book. This is the conclusion of the Flambe story arc. And as always, it's amazing. It's funny, beautiful art. It is a great book. If you're not reading Chew, get on it. Buy it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one. Uh, speaking of comics, it did not start with a bang. I, there was barely anything here. I didn't love the art. I'm not sure where they're going with the story. There was some cutesy fan service stuff. The best I can give us is a skim it. Astonishing X-Men 41. Why is this book still happening? I don't know, but this is the... It's going back and forth between Daniel Way and Greg Pak at the moment. Right. And the Daniel Way stuff hasn't been as good, but it's been about giant monsters, so it's kind of fun. And this is a good conclusion. I kind of liked it. Great art by Nick Bradshaw, who is an Art Adams clone, Absolutely. basically. Uh, but that's not to say I'm sure he's great. Uh, so, buy it. Fazash. That is your ludicrous speed round, and Fazash is the sound that Cyclops' eye beams make when he's blasting his optic lasers. They're not lasers, Matt. They're force beams. Force beams. Now let's take a look at next week's comics and tell these nerds what they should be reading. Joe, what kind of toilet humor are you going to be reading this week? As far as we're concerned, there are really only two books coming out. Yeah, there's only two we can Next mention. week. My pick, because it had to be one of the two, is Flashpoint number 5 by... <laughs> Jeff Johns and uh, Andy Kubert. This, and I actually am very excited to see how it all shakes out. I want to see how and why the new DCU comes about. I'm just very. You're going to sum it all up in one issue. Yeah. Here we go. Rich Johnson liked Rich it. Rich Johnson liked it. I'm going with Justice League number one because that is the beginning uh, of the new DCU. We're on the take. Oh, we are. We totally are. We're cashing our giant check right after the show. I, Jim Lee, Jeff Johns, new Justice League. If you ever cared about comic books, if you ever cared about DC characters at all, you've got, you have to pick this one up. We've all got to see Just what Just out of sheer curiosity, I don't know how you could avoid it. Yeah, man. Not everything Matt and I read is only 22 pages long. No, sir. Once a month, our ADHD meds are raging full on, enabling us to read a whole book of comics for a little Hold segment. Hold on. A whole book? A whole damn book for a little segment we like to call Take a Look. It's in a book. This week we're rapping about Darwin Cook's Parker the Hunter. As it turns out, there is a big, sexy martini edition coming down the pipe real soon here. Should have been out by now. Should have been out. It is running late. You can still pre-order it at your local comic book store, and I highly recommend you do so. Joe, tell us a little bit about Parker. 
All right, now Parker is a character uh, that Donald Westlake is famous for. Uh, he's the protagonist of two dozen novels. Now, Donald Westlake wrote this under a different name. Yeah, he wrote it under the pseudonym uh, Richard Stark. According to our fine friends at Wikipedia, 24 of the 28 novels written under the name Richard Stark star Parker. And he is the subject of numerous uh, film adaptations over the years, none of which actually feature the name Parker. Most notably, Mel Gibson and Payback. Payback... Th- was a remake of the original Payback, which was right. also the same story. And um, that's actually a, a pretty close adaptation of The Hunter, the novel, uh, about a man who just wants his money. Betrayed he wants what he's a, owed. Betrayed by his wife. Betrayed by the, the mobsters that set him up on this heist. Yeah. Now, Parker, the character, is just ruthless. He's terrible. Yeah. He's got no, like, redeeming qualities. He's a criminal through uh, and through. He's... Totally profesh. He's uh, all business when he has to be, but he's like cold and calculating, and he will straight up murder you yeah, if this you is, are standing in the way of what. This he is the needs. story of a very bad guy. One of the first things he does is convinces his wife to commit suicide in this book. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. It now, and what's so great about this is Darwin Cook, who is just a master and raked in awards for this book, multiple awards came oh, yeah. for it. And for good reason. The guy is amazing. And he has this very classic cartoon style to his art. And when you apply his classic sort of golden age cartoony style to this terrible monster of a man who is doing these awful things, it, it's at first it was a little hard to me to fall into the world. But then I got it. It snapped and I oh, yeah. burned through this. Well, and it's got this great kind of noir dialogue. It's just very hard. Yeah, this is this is an open love letter to Stark's crime noir pulp stuff, and it it reads so wonderfully. The really sad part is Richard Stark was alive and gave Darwin Cook his blessing for yeah. this book and died before he saw the finished product. And fun fact, uh, these graphic novel adaptations are the only adaptations of his work that Donald Westlake actually gave per- permission to use yeah. the name Parker. Yeah. Uh, everything you'd see, payback, the movie, the guy's name was Porter, not Parker. Like, he was very protective yeah. of the character's name. And Peter these... Coyote played a character named Stone in Slayland. <laughs> and, yeah, Darwin Cook Pardon is me, Slay the Ground. only one to get permission from Westlake to actually call the character Parker. And it's because he he nailed it. This is a completely fateful adaptation. And it is hard to read. Parker is a terrible guy. You are not rooting for him in this. No, if, no. I mean, he hits women. He hits men. He's not afraid to kill people. Oh, he'll kill anybody. <laughs> he'll use whoever, you know. He's a man on a mission to get his payback, basically, for getting screwed over on this heist that he was sent on. And it's not just a, a graphic novel. There's pages of text lifted directly from yes. the actual book that it's setting up these storylines that would with, with Beautiful, beautiful Darwin Cook art. And it's all set in the 60s. Even the layout is very mod stylist. And yes, there are no, like, beautiful. most of the time there are no panel borders. Not really. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of painted in. It's almost like a wood print, it looks like. Kind stamped of, like kind a woodcut, yeah. Um, and it's just gorgeous, and it's beautifully designed. And it's just black and white art with a little bit of blue background. I mean, it's yeah, just it's one color, so uh, it's spot looking. color, black and white art. And if there's one thing I will say about the IDW books we got 
they're too small. Oh, yeah, right there. He they're, just clocks his wife right there. <laughs> <laughs> they're just too small, and that's why I'm really excited for this Martini edition, big oversized slipcase oh, edition of Parker the Hunter and the second book, Parker the Outfit, which are the first two in the Darwin Cook series that he's adapting. Now, I... I Disagree. I mean, I agree it would have been great if this was a big book, but I like the format. I, I mean, I like it in the sense the that squat it, little, it feels like digest-y you've got a pulp kind of novel format. that you're hauling around. Like, I read this at the dog park while I had Beeps and Mabel running around. And after I left, <laughs> I was going to, like, punch a woman on my way out. It's, like, ah! <laughs> it, it's just mean and it's nasty. I wanted to smoke and I wanted some sort of weird boozy drink oh, absolutely. in the daytime. <laughs> it's absolutely gorgeous. And if you want to read, you will burn through this too. It's a quick it's read. A, it is not a long read. Um, but that's not to say there's not a lot of story here. It just goes fast. Yeah, it goes really fast. And you fast. can't put it down. And it's the pace of the writing, too. That is how Richard Stark wrote these books. They they were meant to be read in a single sitting. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. I, I read this, and I blew through it, and I was quoting it for days. Yeah, this is this is Darwin Cook at the top of his game. I'm excited for all of these. And honestly, I hope he does all 24 He's doing of four. the Parker books. <laughs> like, uh, my only complaint is them. that they are a year in between every every book. It takes so long for them to come out. Well, I mean, he's and putting I, a lot of work into yeah, it. Yeah, this and it is shows. certainly a labor of love for Darwin Cook. Yeah, these books, you cannot go wrong. If you like crime noir at all, just buy them. They're 25 bucks. There you go. That's it for Take a Look. It's in a book this month. Next month, Joe and I are going to be tackling the Kung Fu epic, Infinite Kung Fu. We are? Yes, that's right, buddy. I bought it this week, and it's so good. It's all thick. Oh, it is thick. We're going to tackle it. It's (laughs) It's a book, Joe Patrick. I guess. Sort of break it it down like this. That is it for the Two-Headed Nerd this week. If you're not disgusted by our journey into the depths of yellow journalism, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, where your star ratings and reviews prove that idolizing Mario Lopez's hard-hitting paparazzi-style reporting has finally paid off. (laughs) If you want to feed this monster, you can click our donate button at twoheadednerd.com, and even if it's only a dollar, folks, we can use the support, and anything you give is appreciated and goes right back into making this a better show. It's true. And it needs to be better. <laughs> As always, you can find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find our Twitter handles and a link to our Tumblr blog, where I regularly post. Sure, regularly. Hey, I just posted reviews from Tuesday night. Go read them. That's good. If that's not enough garbage for you, you can head over to our Facebook page. We're going to become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, how do you feel about being so connected to the comics community thanks to the internet? Has the internet ruined everything? Yeah, do you wish, you know... simple question. Do you wish it was still kind of mysterious and uh, magical like it was when we were kids? Are you glad to see how the sausage is made? Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the entire East Coast. If anyone could pimp-slap this hoe Irene. Georgia. (laughs) If anyone could pimp-slap this hoe Irene, it's the coast that brought us agnostic front war zone and sick of it all. Word to you, East Coast, and keep your heads above water. Until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs>